Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Jules. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, everyone, I guess. Thanks, Matt, as well, you know. Um, <laughs> oh, you, you helped, too. Um, sorry, guys. I should have done this before I got up here. Um, so let me make an obvious observation just to start. Um, today, you guys are all sitting in church. Um, so... Let me ask you this question. If you're, if you're here, that means at some point in your life story, someone first told you the good news about Jesus. That's an obvious thing to say, right? Like you're, you're here, so you got here somehow, right? Uh, maybe a... Yeah, thanks. Um, so let me just ask you, who in your life was the first person to tell you the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done? Let's take a moment in your, in your own life, casting your mind back to your own story. Might have been a parent, might have been a Sunday school teacher, might have been a friend, a co-worker. Um, it's important, I think, to just take that moment just to recognize at some point you didn't, had never heard the name Jesus, and then at another point you had heard the name of Jesus, and someone shared that news with you. I think um, sometimes we can have such a, a limited a narrow view of kind of our, our life's existence. And uh, let me just take a moment for us just to kind of relocate ourselves in the big story of... I'm ringing everywhere, aren't I? Shall I go back this way? We'll see how that goes. Um, let, let me just take a moment for us to just relocate our lives back into the big storyline of the, the, the story of the whole world. The, the story of the world starts with... God, the, the uncaused cause, creating the universe, including humanity. And then humanity, we see in Genesis 3, rebels against their creator. They decide that they want to do life without him. They want to choose their own way. And so they are cut off from God, the source of their very life. God then is not content to watch that happen. And he sends his son, Jesus, to come and restore that relationship with us. He comes and he rescues and redeems us. And so we see 2,000 years ago, the man Jesus, he spent his life preaching and teaching and sharing the good news about the kingdom of God, building this following in, in, in this world, on the other side of the world, until one day he is brutally murdered on a cross, executed. We celebrated this at Easter. Three days later, there is an empty tomb. There is rumors of this Jesus character appearing to people. And all of a sudden, this, uh, he begins to show himself to crowds up to 500 people. He is alive again. And this church thing starts. 10 days, uh, 40 days, I should say, 40 days later after that resurrection, he calls his disciples together on the side of a mountain and he gives them their marching orders. He sends them out into the world with a promise that he will send them the Holy Spirit. Ten days after that, this was last Sunday, we celebrated this last Sunday, um, the, the Feast of Pentecost. It was Pentecost Sunday last week, where we celebrated, we remembered the giving of the Holy Spirit to the church. The, the Spirit descends on the disciples. They are preaching in the streets of Jerusalem, and chaos, chaos explodes into the world. Peter preaches the first, like, actually Christian sermon um, with an invitation to receive Christ, and the church is born. 3,000 people 
on one day and the church of, of, of Jesus Christ comes into existence on that day, 50 days after the resurrection. What, what then happens is immediately there is a great resistance, violent persecution uh, breaks out among the church and the people of the church. One guy gets killed. They stone him in the streets for preaching about Jesus. And the church on that day, it scatters all over the region. People flee for their lives into the neighboring villages, into the countryside, but they flee carrying the news of what had just happened. The guy that was preaching about the kingdom of God was killed by the Romans. And then three days later, he's alive again and he appeared to us. And then he sent his Holy Spirit with this uh, with with this power to proclaim this message to the whole world that Jesus is alive and that we might know forgiveness of our sins through his death and through his resurrection. And that news spread like wildfire. Someone told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone who, and I don't know how many of someones are in there, but there's a lot. And then someone told you. Do you see that? There is an unbroken chain. The message of Jesus has literally passed hands in an unbroken chain from the mouth of the disciples to us in this room. Isn't that awesome? To remember where we are in the story. God did that. The word about Jesus went from Jesus on the mountain to you sitting in that chair. How? How did God do that? What was his chosen means by which he was going to spread that message well faithful generation after faithful generation after faithful generation have intentionally preserved and passed on that message until today we could receive it and find new life in that message and now well it's our turn right the lord has given us that responsibility we are now the generation holding the ball And it is our job to continue to push the ball forwards, be that next link in the chain for that next generation to the glory of God and to the blessing of our world. That's what God has called us to. We are the next link in the chain. Today in our passage, we are going to move through uh, three kind of basic points. Um, We'll see firstly the spread of the gospel, the content of the gospel, and finally sharing of the gospel. So here we go. We're going to kick off from verse 9. Thank you, Lucy, for reading this before. Um, we, read, we, we did this last week, so I'm not going to sit here, but I want to give you that context of what we're talking about. This is how it starts in verse 9. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? I'll just, just quickly 
um, just so we don't get confused, when he's talking about preaching there, he's not narrowly, specifically talking about what I'm doing now, where I'm kind of monologuing in front of a group of people at church, right? He just means generally like the heralding, just speaking, that they're passing on the news. It's the general use of the word preaching, not the specific one, right? Um, just heralding the good news. Uh, if, you, if you turn these verses kind of upside down and read them backwards, you kind of see his actual, the logic of what he's trying to say in these verses, right? This is the logic, right? If no one is sent, then the news won't be announced. If the news, not, if the news is not announced, then no one will hear it. And if no one hears it, no one will believe it. And if no one believes it, then no one will call on the name of the Lord. This is what he's saying. Having just laid out for us over the last couple of weeks in chapter 9, the sovereignty of God and salvation, having been laboring that ultimately salvation belongs to the Lord, Paul here is really eager to make sure we don't misunderstand him or jump to any crazy conclusions about what he has said. He needs us here to see that we are not redundant in the plan of God. We are not redundant here. In God's plan and in his will, we have an essential role to play in the gospel moving forwards. God has not just sovereignly ordained the ends where it's all going. He's also sovereignly ordained the means, how it is we're going to get there. And what's his sovereignly ordained means? It's the passing on of the gospel through the church. It's the ministry of the body of Christ in the world. His chosen means involves you speaking words so that people can hear and people might believe and people might call upon the name of the Lord. There's a, um, a really famous quote that has been wrongfully um, clearly attributed to Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. Very famous quote. He, uh, again, famously did not say this. <laughs> uh, everyone claims it's him, but uh, there's no record of him saying it. He said this, um, you'll see this on walls and churches, you'll see this everywhere, right? Um, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that one before? It's a classic, it's a Christian classic. Uh, we love it for a lot of reasons, but um, let's just point out <laughs> that Romans 10 is saying very clearly, it is absolutely necessary that we use words. Did you see that? How are they going to believe if they don't hear? So, yeah, there is that, right? Um, if we never mention Jesus, how are they going to believe in Jesus? All the serving, all the giving, all the generous living. If you never mention Jesus, people can never hear about Jesus. Isn't that obvious? But it needs to be said, apparently. Yes, words are absolutely Necessary. What I think this quote is, is getting at, like, what, like what's its intention, to give it the, as much benefit of the doubt as possible, is that, yeah, Jesus told us that we should let our good deeds, good deeds shine so that people might praise our Father in heaven, that our deeds are also necessary. And so, yeah, like the relationship between our good deeds and our words is never an either or. Like we need to pick one. Like we're on team words we're on team deeds, and we're going to do battle, right? That's not how this is working, right? Um, the relationship between words and deeds is always both and. 
let your good deeds shine. But also, they're not going to hear if you don't tell them about the good news of Jesus. Let's never pretend like our deeds are enough. And Romans 10 is trying to make that point. They can't believe if we don't tell them. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Our words are always necessary. Um, when I was driving to school this week on Wednesday, I was, I was driving the kids to school, I should say, um, I noticed up in the sky some skywriting starting. So it just, it just happened to be in the 10-minute drive between my home and my and work and school, I should say, when I started, the, uh, started to see uh, some sky skywriting. And um, I, I didn't have an opportunity to take a photo of it. I couldn't read it from where I was because I was like Warner, right? I'm pretty far north. So I was like looking at it at a big angle. Um, but I managed to find someone online who had um, managed to take a photo of it. I don't know what that means, but those are the letters. Did anyone else see it? Yeah? Yeah, I was like, what, what is it saying? I, don't, I, don't, I still don't know what that is. Um, but someone paid someone to put C-A-D-A in the sky, and that's what happened. Um, I remember driving along, being like, wow, I wonder how that's happening <laughs> to the kids. Um, what's happening up there, do you think, Luce? How, how's that happening? And she was like, whoa, what is that? And I, had to, yeah, I, I did actually know the answer. It's a plane. Um, <laughs> but I wanted, <laughs> I was trying to just cause some confusion in their little minds. What is happening? Now, technically, God made the whole universe, right? He can do anything he wants. He could have done the skywriting version of the gospel. He could have literally just put Jesus saves in the sky. He could have communicated to all of humanity with some kind of miracle which left no one in any doubt, right? There is nothing to stop God doing something like that. It would be pretty effective, I think, if God just decided to skywrite the message of Jesus in the sky. He's not done that, obviously. That's not how he has decided to communicate his good news about Jesus to the world. Instead, he has chosen you. He's chosen the Christian. The Christian is plan A in God's plan of spreading the news. So Romans 10 is telling us in pretty clear, straightforward way People will literally never hear it if we shut up. Isn't that sobering? God wants us to know that people will never hear about Jesus if we don't tell them. How can they possibly believe if no one actually opens up their mouth to speak? One of the most famous documents in modern church history uh, is known as the Lausanne Lucerne Covenant, written a little while ago. In large part, it was written by John Stott, who's an incredibly influential uh, Anglican minister in England, um, theologian, churchman. Um, he wrote this with tons of, uh, they, had, they had churches from every nation on the planet involved in this, which is, I think is pretty cool. It's meant to be like a cross-denominational rallying cry for the gospel. And uh, it's, it says this at one point. It's, it's a wonderful read, honestly, but this, I found this paragraph helpful. It says, more than 2,700 million people, which is more than two-thirds of all humanity, have yet to be evangelized. We, again, speaking on behalf of the churches, the Christians in the world, we are ashamed that so many have been neglected. 
it is a standing rebuke to us and to the whole church. And I think we need to feel that. It's a standing rebuke to all of us that so many have not heard. The goal should be, by all available means, and at the earliest possible time that every person will have the opportunity to hear, to understand, and to receive the good news. Finally, he points out this. We cannot hope to attain this goal without sacrifice. All of us are shocked by the poverty of millions and disturbed by the injustices which, it, which cause it. Those of us who live in affluent circumstances accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. Here's the big idea, right? 2.7 billion people, two-thirds of humanity. Again, this was written in the past. That number's going to be different now. Haven't heard. Haven't heard. And they're not going to hear without someone speaking. How are they going to hear if no one says it? There is plenty of work to be done, Christian. <laughs> the evangelistic task is mammoth, and it is ahead of us, and it is to be our life's calling. Last, chat, last paragraph of Lucerne Covenant. Let me read this. We believe that Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly, amen, in power and in glory to consummate his salvation and his judgment. This promise of his coming is, a, is to further spur our evangelism. For we remember his words that the gospel must first be preached to all nations. We believe then that the interim period between Christ's ascension and his return is to be filled with the mission of the people of God who have no liberty to stop before the end. I love that last line. The Lord might send some of us into cross-cultural missions. I pray he does. Again, there's plenty of cultures that have yet to hear. But whether it's overseas or it's across the street or it is in the cubicle next to yours, in the words of Lucerne Covenant, we have no liberty to stop until he comes back and says, we're done. That day is coming, but it has not come yet. And so we have no liberty to stop, Jesus left us a clear command before he left. Be witnesses to all people, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. This is our responsibility, both before God and before our neighbor. It's calling from God to us and to our neighbor. I love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 14. He says that Christ's love constrains us in this. His love, ESV, I think, says, says controls us. Christ's love controls us, and therefore we will not be quiet. It constrains us. What else are we going to do? We are constrained by his love, which propels us forwards in this message. Why does, what's the relationship between Christ's love and us being serious about sharing our faith? We believe that the good news about Jesus Christ is good news for literally every person on the planet. 
We believe that. The good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is good news for every living person. For the, it's, we believe the gospel is good news for the hardline atheist. We believe the gospel is good news for the apathetic Australian, the religiously apathetic. We believe the gospel is good news for people on the far right and good news for the people on the far left. We believe the gospel is good news for the LGBTQ community and for the ex-Christian who has deconstructed his faith into oblivion. We believe the gospel is good news for everyone, for the Muslim, for the Buddhist, for the, uh, for the church kid who's grown up in church all his, his whole life and has never actually met Jesus. Gospel is good news for every living person. We believe that. And we have the responsibility to live that out and to proclaim that in, by any means, any available means. And so let me just ask before we move on, have you lost sight of what God's actually called you to in your life? He's called you to know him. He's called you to love him. He's also called you to pass that on. Be witnesses. You are his herald. Romans 10 wants to remind us they're not going to believe if they never hear it. We have a responsibility before God and our neighbor. Next few verses, the content of the gospel. I'll read from 14 again. How are they going to call on him who who they've never believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. In Romans 9, we've read quite a few verses that have been hard to kind of embrace. I think this is a struggle to embrace this one because I can't imagine beautiful feet, but that's maybe just me. Um, actually, fun fact, this verse is the inspiration behind Matt preaching barefoot occasionally. He wants everyone to see his beautiful feet. And so sometimes he forgets his shoes, but really, it's this verse. He's like, beautiful feet, people got to see it. Let that light shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that verse is in the Bible. Okay, carry on. Um, verse 16, read this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? They have not all obeyed the gospel. Not received it, not believed it. Again, that language is used elsewhere in the, in the, in the New Testament. But here, obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, that's what we were just talking about before, right? Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing, which means speaking is essential. But I want to focus in on this verse, right? The text is highlighting, I think, emphasizing a particular aspect of the gospel here. It is something not just to be received, but obeyed. Not something just to be received, but obeyed. Scholar Michael Bird, he says this. He says, the gospel is not just religious data that we expect people to agree with. The gospel is a royal summons to receive Jesus as Savior and to submit to him as Lord. It's an announcement. The king has come. In fact, the word gospel, actually before the New Testament, it just, the, gospel, the word gospel in the Greek just means good news. Like That's what literally the word means. Um, but before it was a Christian word, it was actually used in Greek culture. 
So before it was like loaded with all the Christian meaning that we know it as now, before that, it actually had a, a meaning. And the word basically meant an announcement from a king taking over a new people group, a new town, and it was his, his uh, declaration that he had conquered, and it was his terms of peace for the people that lived in that city. It was an announcement. I'm your new king. Here's how it's going to go. Are you in or are you out? That's what that word basically meant. Uh, imagine you had two neighboring kingdoms at war, right? And, and uh, on one final battle, the one army conquered the other army, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the conquering general, the victorious, victorious uh, king, would send a message into the city and say, guess what, guys? I'm your new king. I'm here. I'm your new king. And here are my terms for you to be at peace with me in my new kingdom. It was a message to be received, yes, but it was also a message to be obeyed. It was a gospel message, a message of victory and a message of conditions of peace. In the same way, Jesus, his first words in the gospel of Mark, if we were to flick open the gospel of Mark now, this is how he opens his announcement. This is his first, his opening of his preaching. And again, remember, this is before death and resurrection, this is before gospel was loaded with that meaning. Do you understand? Which, of course, it becomes, uh, it ends up being. But this is what he says. He says, the time is fulfilled. Again, imagine Jesus Christ standing up in front of a group of people, and he says, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Why? Because your king has come. Your king is here. Jesus is that conquering king, and his message is an announcement. The king has come. Repent and believe. I'm the king. Call is to submit ourselves, to uh, shift our allegiance underneath the new king. It is to declare our fealty to the king. Do you see that? It is to come underneath his authority. We talked about this last week, right? That Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. He is king. And we are called to respond by placing ourselves underneath his authority and calling him Lord. Of course, living as we do on this side of the cross, we know that this gospel message now includes the good news of his death and resurrection to deal with the problem of our sin, right? It's more specific. It is bigger. It is better. Right? It includes what this king has done. He's not just conquered an army. He's conquered death, Satan, sin, everything. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to God by his own death. We had a call to respond by repenting and believing in the good news of the gospel and coming underneath his lordship. All right, I want to take a little turn now and... We'll do our last point, which is to get really practical. Uh, the sharing of the gospel. How do we do this? All right, I mentioned some big numbers before, 2.7 billion, right? Two-thirds of the world. Okay, well, that's exhausting. <laughs> just think about that long enough, and you'll be like, okay, I'm just going to crawl back into bed, turn the heater on, and um, we'll see you on the other side of this, I guess, right? Like That's, that's kind of like the psychological effect that those big numbers have on us because it is terrifying. And so let's just acknowledge that that's there and that God hasn't called you 
to evangelize 2.7 billion people. <laughs> That's not how this works. It's the, the body of Christ has been called. Right? We collectively have responsibility. We have been called to just be faithful where we are. Some of us absolutely are going to be called to go. Cross-cultural mission. God calls people. We believe that. We want to acknowledge that. Um, but this isn't, the whole world isn't just on you, but you have a place. You have a role. You have a, a role to play in this. Um, so what I want to do today is give you a little framework to help you think through what it means for you to live where you are as a missionary to those around you. Okay? Um, this is just for us to help think through what, what can this look like in my life. I'm calling it the 555 rule. I can't remember what um, the fellow that I heard this from called it, but I'm calling it that. Um, I, I, I pinched this from Tony Morita in the States, and I found it really helpful in my own, in my own kind of thinking. And so the 555 rule, that's what I've re, rebranded his thing. Um, okay, this is, this is how it works, right? The, here's the big idea. Every Christian, everyone in this room who calls on Jesus, is called to be a missionary where they are in their own life, okay? Um, you don't have to go to overseas to find a mission field because, guess what? They're next door to your house, right? They're everywhere. It's just where we are. So, it's, so it, it, this is just a call for us to wake up and realize that it's all around us. So this is just to help us think through the different uh, networks, the spheres we're already a part of. So the first five in the 555 rule, oh, it's already up, um, is the five networks that you actually already exist in right now, probably. Uh, and I recognize that a 16-year-old probably doesn't have a vocational network, but hey. Um, here's the five spheres, right? Your family network, firstly. You are connected to people by virtue of your blood. There is people in your life who are your, in your world because they are part of your extended family network. Those are people who God has placed you with to share the good news. Uh, secondly, your vocational network. Right? These are the people that you work with, people that you are going to bump into in your professional life. No matter what you do, you will have some interaction with some other person, and that is someone who you can share the gospel with. Your neighborhood no network, right? your geographical area, those who literally are within, you know, in your suburb, those who are around you that you can connect with through community things. Um, your recreational network, right? These, these are the people that you do fun things with, right? Those who you go bouldering with, those who you have board game night with, those who you make pots with, pottery, or do choir with, or whatever it is, right? Um, these are the people that we are just with by virtue of we want to have fun, and these are our people that we might bump into doing all these things, right? Um, and finally, your commercial network. I couldn't think of a better name for that. Where you shop, the barista at your local cafe, where you fill up petrol, I just like kind of encourage you, fill up petrol at the same place every time you fill up so that you can talk to the staff there. And you know, like that's just like basic way to just meet these people, right? The, the, the local corner stall, the local petrol station, whatever it is, just where you shop, where you are. Five networks. Do you see that? Five spheres of life that you probably exist in already. That's the first five. So it's a it, be a good idea just to spend a little bit of time now as I'm going through these things, thinking, what for me is that? What do those spheres look like for me? Um, that'd be a really helpful thing to do as we go. The second five is a challenge. Second five is to pick five people from each of those networks. 
five family members, five work colleagues, five people in your area, five neighbors, five people you hang out with, five commercial network people. I don't know, where you shop, right? Some of those things are going to be hard to find five. You might need to have more in one area and less in another area. But the goal is, that's 25 people. You're like, whoa, I, can't, I couldn't name 25 people. Yeah, it's going to be hard for the introverts, right? But hey, we're talking about 2.7 billion people, so 25. Like, we, can, we, can, we can manage that, even if it's a push. But still, 25 people, five people in each of those networks. Start assembling those lists in your own mind. Who are those people you can identify to bless? And finally, the five, five, the five, five the final five of the five, 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 is what you can do, right? Five steps you can take with those five people. So if your goal is, I'm gonna try to do these five people with these, these five things with these five people in these five networks. The gospel will move forward. So here's five ideas. Firstly, the most obvious but the most important, pray. Pray, have a list in the front of your Bible where you pray for these people every day. Pray, pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. We believe in the power of prayer, pray. Secondly, serve them. Find a way to serve the people in, in meaningful ways, whatever that might look like. Might be might hear that they're sick with COVID and you're like, I'm gonna cook them a meal, drop it around. Guess what, that's really helpful and people love that. Um, we've had some success in that area, right? Um, offer to babysit or mow your neighbor's lawn when you're mowing, when you're doing the mowing. Why not? If it's possible, right? Find ways to serve in meaningful ways. Sec, uh, number three, give. Give them meaningful gospel literature. You're listening to a podcast and go, this is awesome. I might send this to someone, right? Pass on a, a sermon you might listen to, uh, a reading, a book, a, anything you think that might connect with people, right? An article, and then ask them what they think about it, right? Just look for opportunities to give people stuff. It's a great way to connect with people. For example, um, just, just this last week, I was chatting to one of the school mums. So I do pick up every now and then when Larissa's working. And um, I was chatting to this one lady and... What do you do? I'm a pastor. She's like, oh. And then she started venting to me <laughs> about how um, she's really sad about how our culture hates Christianity. She's not a Christian. She's like, I'm not religious or anything. But I grew up with the stories about Christmas and Easter. And now I want to pass those stories on because I found them meaningful in my own life. And I, like, I don't know what to do. Like, our culture seems to hate Jesus and Christianity. And I kind of like, respect it. And so she was like, do you know, what, what should I do? I was like, well... <laughs> What an opportunity. And so um, I, I went on, jumped onto Kurong and we bought some um, Jesus Storybook Bible, which if you have kids is the best uh, kids Bible. We love it. And I'm um, just going to write some notes in there and like um, put some post-its in there about, hey, look at this page and this is the story of Jesus and um, this is Christmas, this is Easter, just to help her get her head around it. But um, she's 100% she's going to read that to her kids. I guarantee it. And it is filled with gospel truth. What an opportunity, right? That's a free kick. And so um, I'm going to take that free kick. And um, yeah, you're going to ask a pastor about, I want some gospel resources. You're like, yeah, okay, you're going to get them. Um, <laughs> don't you worry about it. It's sitting on my shelf at home. I'm just going to take it into it. Give, right? Meaningful gospel literature. Uh, number four, invite them. Take opportunities to invite people along to really, well, firstly, social get to know people, get them into your house. The, this is the ministry of hospitality that we are called to have in our world, right? Um, invite them over to a movie, invite them to board game night. Just take an opportunity to connect with people through just an invitation to be with them. But then also take an opportunity whenever you can to invite people to something, maybe a, a church a social event or a church uh, outreach event or something like Alpha. You know, we run Alpha here to invite people along to. That's us trying to help you um, take, yeah, have, have something to bring people along to. And so things like that, look, look for ways to invite them 
into your world. And finally, again, this is Romans 10 one. We're to speak. We've actually got to, at some point, talk to them about spiritual things. Um, so we're looking for ways to, to, to talk about our faith and honestly, looking for ways to naturally bring up our faith in ways that actually meaningfully connect with people. Does that make sense? We're not just like preaching at people. We're looking to start spiritual conversations and bring uh, people, yeah, just talk to people about that. Our approach um, might, might simply be to just on Monday morning, ask people what they did on the weekend, <laughs> knowing that they're going to ask you back as soon as, that, as soon as you've asked that question. They're like, well, they're, they're obligated now to ask you what you did. And guess what you did? You went to church. <laughs> what a great uh, opener, right? Um, and then who knows, that person might be like, church, you know what? I wish that I had something that I could give my kids. <laughs> like, I wasn't expecting that conversation to happen, but um, who knows where people might be at. And so opening that conversation, looking to engage with people, asking them about what they think about the meaning of life, what's going to happen when you die, all those kind of significant questions. What do you think about God? And just being persistent, looking to talk. We had an evangelism training night on Thursday night here, and it was so great. I've got a recording of it. And um, if, you're interested, if you're interested to hear it, um, just to think through how it is we might share our faith um, come and ask me because it's not going to go publicly online, but it will go privately online. So come ask me and I'll send you a link if you're interested. All right. That's the 555 rule. Five networks, family, vocation, recreation, commercial, and geog geographical um, or neighborhood. Um, five people taking five steps. Praying through those things, meaningfully considering those things, how it is we might serve those people. I'm hoping to get some postcards printed up, by the way, uh, by next week or the week after, where we can just have these reminders, where we can write those names down, we can put that in the front of our Bible, and we can see those reminders about who we can be praying for and what we can be doing. And so keep an eye out for those things when they drop. All right. Let's pray, I think. Let's pray. Lord, you have not called us to a life of chasing our own desires or aimlessly drifting through a day after day after day, Lord. You have called us to something glorious. Lord, we are your ambassadors. We've been given a gift of incredible value and we've been called to display that value, Lord, to let our good works shine. Lord, we've been called to pass on the good news. Lord, we admit as well that this is difficult for us. For most people, this is hard. It does not come easily, Lord. And so we ask, Lord, that you would grow us in this strengthen us in this Holy Spirit we need your leading your encouragement your prompting the courage that comes from knowing that you are with us Lord we need you in this because Lord we want to be faithful servants and Lord we genuinely do feel the constraint of your love upon us, Lord, that we must pass this on to a world that is dying and in such desperate need of, of hope. 
Lord, we also recognize that we are at no liberty to stop until you come back or until we breathe our last breath. So help us, Lord, help us to um, adjust ourselves to your agenda and not keep persistent, persisting in asking you to adjust to our agenda, Lord. We, um, yeah, we want to follow you. We want to honor you. We want to be that next link in the chain to the next generation. So would you bless the ministry of this church, Lord? Would you bless every person within hearing of this, Lord, in their uh, endeavors to honor you in all things? Lord, would you give them opportunities this week to share, to speak? Lord, would they not be surprised when those opportunities open their, open, um, open up, Lord? Is you going ahead of us? As we pray now that you, you give us opportunities to grow in this and really just partner with you in what you're already doing in the world. Help us remember that we are your children. Lord, that this mission is not something that will, um, our failure in this mission, Lord, will not condemn us. Lord, you you have forgiven us through the cross. So we receive that forgiveness now. We receive that forgiveness for all the times we've failed to share when we know you you are calling us to do so. Help us, Lord, I pray. Go before us. Strengthen us. Open up our mouths when we are when we are feeling cowardly. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you called us to a life worth living. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus.